Happy Monday, everyone, and welcome to the Soccer Phil Show, hosted by Phil Zayas. This is a show that encompasses everything soccer, from grassroots to pro stadiums. Welcome to the Soccer Phil Show. This is Phil Zayas coming to you from beautiful Fort Lauderdale, Florida. On today's show, we have a very special guest. I've got Mark Kakorian, the head women's soccer coach at Florida State University, coming off his third national championship at Florida State. Uh, Mark, welcome to the show. Well, thanks, Phil. Nice to spend some time with you. Um, Mark, before I jump in, I've got some questions lined up that I think uh, my audience would love to you know, would love to have you answer and love, would love to hear from you. Um, but before I, I go into it, I just wanted to start by uh, actually thanking you. Um, you've been, um, not only are you a great coach, but you've been a great ambassador of the sport. And um, you've always been very open with, uh, you know, sharing with certain people and sharing info. And you certainly have made, uh, helped to make me a better coach and have been, kind of an open book with me. So I'm, I'm very grateful for that. And, uh, you know, I just want to thank you publicly for, uh, for not only being on the show, but for sharing info with me, that's made me a better coach and has helped, uh, my programs improve. So I, I just wanted to start with that. Well, I appreciate it, Phil. I mean, none of us invented the game and I think, uh, it's all in the, the way we interpret things. And, uh, for me, it's always a learning experience talking with other coaches that have different experiences and, having the opportunity to share some time with you over the years and, and talk about the game is uh, mutually beneficial. I've learned a lot as well. Awesome. Awesome. Well, no, thank you. Um, okay. So I'm going to get right into this. Uh, obviously you're coming off your third national championship at FSU. I've really been following your, your, your career. I, I always follow successful coaches and, and people that are successful in life and you've certainly been uh, successful in all areas. So um, it's been fun to, to watch you grow as a coach as well and just watch you uh, have success. And uh, so I, I just I want to start with this and we'll kind of get into it. So what inspired you to, to be a coach and to get into coaching? Well, you know, probably back in my playing days uh, in New Hampshire, <coughs> I had a, um, a coach named John Mitchell that was both a, a high school coach and a mentor and friend and, and so on. And he... Um, he kind of got me into it and he uh, showed me uh, a little bit more than uh, most kids in New Hampshire would have access to it. Back in the day, he'd take us down to watch the Cosmos play with Pelé and Beckenbauer and uh, <clears throat> the New England Revolution and those N- NASL days back, uh, you know, 50 years ago uh, in the early days of American soccer, um, or at least early to me. Um, he really opened my eyes and showed me a little bit more about the world game. And then I had a number of opportunities uh, when I was a high school teacher to take uh, young teams to Europe and uh, to, to play against European competition. And all that was on the boys' side uh, in the early days. And um, I would say that uh, John is um, probably one of those mentors I look back at so influential in my life and um, being a, a great teacher, being a good friend and uh, bringing me along in a, a reasonable fashion. Okay. And um, can you explain what your journey as a college coach has been like? Um, you know, where did you start your career, like your first coaching uh, gig? And, um, you know, how did it begin? And, and uh, how did you climb the coaching ladder? Just kind of recap your career from, I know you were at Franklin Pierce, and obviously now you're at FSU. So maybe um, to try to fill in the gaps and, and kind of explain your, your, uh, 
your career path? Sure. Um, you know, I was a high school teacher to start. That was my first job out of college. And I taught for two years in New Hampshire. And then I went up to Maine and taught for a number of years up there. And <clears throat> at some point, uh, probably three or four years into my teaching up there uh, and being a high school coach at that time, um, I thought maybe there was a new challenge for me. So I went to the local uh, men's uh, college coach, uh, Bob Live at the University of Maine at Farmington, and basically explained who I was and what I was looking for. And he allowed me to come on and be a volunteer coach for him. And um, so for two years, uh, I learned an awful lot about how to do more with less. <coughs> and, and Bob was just fantastic with player development and um, just, uh, again, another one of these great mentors that you look back at all these years later and realize that um, he kind of taught me that you didn't have to have all the best players. You didn't have to have all of the best of everything, that uh, if you're a little bit clever and resourceful, that you could be successful. So I was his assistant coach at the college on the men's side uh, in NAIA for two years. And then um, my brother called me, who was a teacher down in the um, um, southern, southwestern part of New Hampshire. He was teaching at Hinsdale High School. And he was also the assistant men's coach at Franklin Pierce. And uh, he said, you know, the women's job at Franklin Pierce is open, and it's a combined position, women's soccer and women's basketball assistant. Uh, and I played a lot of basketball as a kid, so it was a good combination. So I ended up going down and interviewing. <clears throat> and that was another one of those life-changing uh, opportunities. Um, the athletic director at Franklin Pierce, uh, Bruce Kirsch, took a chance on me. And um, what I told him during the interview is the same thing I've said to every one of these uh, ADs that, uh, you know, there'll be people out there that are probably a whole lot smarter than I am, but no one's going to outwork us. And uh, we went into Franklin Pierce and uh, kind of inherited a team that had a lot of room for growth. And um, uh, I don't know, two or three years later, we went from, I don't know what the record was, six and eight or six, eight and two or something to uh, 19, two and one or something along those lines and playing in the final four of the division two uh, tournament. And um, my last two years at Pierce, uh, we were undefeated and won two national championships. So <clears throat> he gave me the tools and the, um, the advice and direction on, you know, how to work and how to become great at what you're doing. And uh, all along the way, working with the basketball program as well, learning from Steve Hancock, the men's coach, and how to recruit and how to um, best utilize the different strengths and minimize the weaknesses that we had at Franklin Pierce. And, uh, you know, I was there for six years. And the uh, last four years, we played in the Final Four. And the last two years there, we, we, we won two national championships. And from there, it was <clears throat> off to the University of Hartford which uh, was an interesting stop along the way. Uh, when I got there, um, I thought that um, uh, the level of talent and, and uh, the level of play was going to be uh, significantly better than what I had left behind, and that's not what I found. Uh, I found that my Division II team was, uh, was really quite good, and uh, we had seen that in a lot of different uh, opportunities when we did compete against Division ones. <clears throat> but, um, again, good lessons, good lessons from a lot of people, um, working with uh, the men's coaches and the uh, chance to, um, you know, continue to grow and um, pick up little things along the way. So I stayed at Hartford for uh, for a number of years and uh, some good, some bad there. Probably the, the, the best thing I got out of the University of Hartford was uh, my wife. 
um, who, uh, who um, was a Hartford uh, person at the time. And um, now we have two absolutely beautiful children. And um, but uh, that was that was a different uh, chapter. There was uh, uh, a lot of success on the field, but a lot of lessons learned off the field on how to do business properly and how not to do business properly. And <clears throat> enjoyed that. And then went on to the first women's pro league and coached the Philadelphia Charge uh, for three years. Um, hired an assistant coach that uh, many of you will now know and recognize. Uh, brought her from Sweden, Pia Sundhaga. And uh, Pia came over, was my assistant for a couple of years, and had a great opportunity to work with her and work with some of the best players in the world with um, Lou Ai Ling and Doris Fitchin, the captain of Germany, and Kelly Smith from England, and uh, just so many wonderful players. And then one year with the U.S. U-19 national team and um, uh, had the pleasure of working with uh, players like um, uh, Becky Saubrun, Megan Rapino, Stephanie Logterman, um, Rachel Bueller, a lot of very, very good players at that time. And then the last 17 years have been at Florida State. So I know that's a long-winded answer to a simple <laughs> question, but as my wife said to me at one point, can't you keep a job? You just keep on changing jobs all the time. So. <laughs> well, so now you've been at FSU for 17 years. That's that's definitely a, a long time. So that's that's awesome. Um, you know, as I'm going through my coaching journey and, you know, I think anyone who loves the game and loves coaching wants wants to be at the highest level. And um, so I guess that, you know, there's obviously a lot we can learn from guys like yourself, who, in my opinion, are I mean, in my opinion, you're one of the best women's coaches in the country, if not in the world. So, um, you know, there's a lot we can learn uh, from your journey. And um, that's, you know, that's why I'm asking those type of questions, because it's it's important to understand, like, where you started and how you got got to where you're, you know, where you're at now. So um, my next question is, which I, I think I have the answer to this, but was there risk involved in your coaching journey? Yeah, every step along the way. You know, Phil, one of the other things you touch upon that I think is really an important aspect is that sometimes when people just start off as like if someone were to be hired with their first job as an assistant in Florida State, they don't learn about all of the little things that need to be done. So for me, being at a Division II school like Florida State and having to line the field and take care of equipment and be an academic advisor and drive a van and do all of these other things that you know, are unimaginable at a place like Florida State probably helped me to have a little more empathy for all of the people that are working around me uh, on a daily basis now, because I've done all of those things and yeah. recognizing that none of those tasks are easy and everyone is hopefully committed to doing the best job they can. So <clears throat> when I look at it, I think that there's for everyone in virtually every situation, as they're going into uh, a new situation, there's a lot of unknown. When I left the public teaching job, when I was in Maine, to go and take that my first college job at Franklin Pierce, I took a pay cut. I looked and said, no, this is what I want to do. I'm willing to take the chance and uh, move from Maine back into New Hampshire and uh, basically started over. And it could have gone a lot of different ways, but fortunately I had very good guidance from the AD. And at that time, the men's soccer coach at Franklin Pierce, Todd Sillig, he was a great ally and advocate for me. So, you know, I think that, um, finding those people around you that can be good advocates that are willing to invest in you and, and give you guidance. And then of course you got to be clever enough to listen to what they're telling you. Um, I think that's invaluable. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, I mean, I'm seeing in my own journey, there's times there's opportunities and, um, you know, obviously sometimes whether you accept it or not is uh, it, it's all a risk, whether you're putting your, your faith in someone else um, you know, there's, there's risk to be taken, but, but at the end of the day, I guess you can't, you can't get to the top unless you're willing to take some risks. Um, so after winning your third national championship, what factors would you attribute to your success? I mean, you've won five total now, three at FSU. Um, what factors would you attribute to your success? You know, every coach that uh, calls me when they're taking a job asks, <clears throat> what's the most important things? And the first thing I tell them is make sure that the people you hire are the people you want because it's awful difficult if you're hiring people that aren't going to be um, of the same work ethic and of the same uh, mindset. So for me, it's it's about work ethic. It's about leadership. It's about direction, trying to figure out <clears throat> how do we want to define ourselves? What is the big picture vision? You know, for us, we talk about excellence all the time. And for me, it's really simple. You know, do you come to practice every day with the intent of improving? Okay, if you do, that's really good. Do you go, go to class with the intent of doing the best job you can? And in the community, are you representing yourself with your family and your teammates <clears throat> and the school in a fashion that everyone's proud? And if you're doing all of those things, you put yourself in a really good spot to be successful. So, you know, for me, I think it's really simple. You need to work hard. You need to identify what the goal is and then work to it because, you know, it's not easy. It's not easy winning. It's not easy maintaining uh, a level of excellence. But as a head coach, you have to establish that and then hold people accountable to it. And, um, you know, obviously, if you hire the right people, well, boy, it's a whole lot easier. If you hire the wrong people, then you're reestablishing that continuously. And that's very hard. It's draining. Okay. Now that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, my next one is, uh, how would you describe yourself as a coach? Like what's your coaching style? Boy, I'll tell you, um, in terms of the soccer itself, um, I love the beautiful game. I love the idea of possessing the ball. You know, I wasn't a great player as a kid. Um, but I had better technique and better tactics than most of the kids. Unfortunately, I didn't have great athleticism. So, I kind of had to make up for that with being a little more clever than the opponents or, or the other players. <clears throat> and I think that that continues to be the vision I have. It's a matter of we want the ball, we want the opponent to have to work for the ball. Um, part of our defending is uh, simply we're going to maintain possession and make the opponent have to work uh, to get the ball back so that we don't have to defend as often. But uh, in terms of uh, coaching philosophy, I, I think I'm a pretty good listener. Uh, a good listener to the players and good listener to the assistant coaches. And, um, you know, I don't have a monopoly on good ideas. I, I have a pretty good monopoly on stealing good ideas, but I don't uh, have a monopoly on, on coming up with them. Um, in regards to recruiting, what key qualities do you look for in a player? Boy, you know, back in the day, it was a, a more about technical quality and, and tactics. But as uh, we've continued to progress up the food chain and uh, competing for national championships, um, it's very, very clear that if the kids are, don't have the athletic quality, it's really hard to be um, a top-level player. So uh, combining 
uh, athletic quality with the right mentality. And then, of course, technical and tactical uh, understanding is um, is really important. And uh, having a nice balance and a nice mix of all of those qualities uh, can lead to a lot of success. Yeah, one of the things you mentioned in the um, you know in the last question was you know how you mentioned how when you were a player you didn't have the physical qualities, but you had the technical, and you your game understanding was different, and you were clever and could solve problems. Is there certain positions on the field that you may have a player that maybe isn't the most athletic kid, but is uh, very clever or solves problems like they're able to kind of overcompensate. Do you ever find players like that or do they just need to be top star athlete and, and have all those characteristics? Yeah. I think if you look at our attacking midfield players uh, here at Florida state, those kids often fall into that category. I mean, anyone that's seen usually shall play or Jenna nice or Clara Robbins, um, Maria Algoa and, um, and Leilani Nesbitt all appreciate their quality with the ball, their understanding of the game and so on. And don't get me wrong, they're all very good athletes, but that's not their best quality. Their best quality is their ability to read the play and their technical uh, quality. So um, for, for me, I think that um, we've been able to get playmakers and put them in those positions and uh, help them to uh, <clears throat> understand about good, good spacing and good positioning and uh, be successful. Yeah, I mean, throughout the years watching your teams and, and uh, having conversations with you about players, I think that's definitely one of the things that I uh, I appreciate about you is just your ability to be able to um, watch a player play and, and your ability to recognize those key qualities that they have in regards to their game understanding and, um, you know, their ability to um, be clever and solve problems. Um, you know, I, I think I – think, um, a lot of a lot of times, um, some coaches may just recruit based on athletic ability, bigger, stronger, faster. To where you look at the, those different qualities, which is probably, um, you know, why you're winning national championships. So, um, that's 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 great to hear. Um, okay, uh, what role does the parent play in the player's recruiting process? Well, they certainly have a role. Um, at the end of the day, for me, though, it's always <clears throat> about the student-athlete and th- those um, uh, players getting a sense as to um, what the culture is like at our school or at any school and then deciding whether or not they want to try and meet uh, the level of commitment we're looking for. And, you know, sometimes people think that we're asking more of our players in terms of a time commit- commitment than we are. I mean, for us, our training is an hour and a half, six days a week. And um, during the season, they're in the weight room probably 45 minutes, once or twice a week. And that's pretty much it. I mean, there are a little, there's a little bit of video here and there. But, you know, a lot of people think, oh, okay, well, you know, they're, um, you know, demanding so much time. That's not the case. What we're looking for is uh, excellence and concentration mm-hmm. when we're together uh, as opposed to, uh, just quantity. It's more about quality than quantity for us. And uh, I think that if we find the right kids and uh, they're committed to their development, then it's it's a good spot. But I do think the parents are an important piece of it to be able to look and listen and see um, whether they feel it's the right um, um, uh, place for, for their child. Because sometimes, you know, the kids get kind of 
get caught up with, well, yeah, they're national champions. I want to go and play there. But, you know, maybe they're not quite as serious as they think they are. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, well, also, I would assume that on your team, it's probably not easy to get minutes either. I mean, you guys are best team in the country. So um, for some players, maybe it'd be better to go to a, a school where they're going to get more minutes opposed to, um, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess in order, well, in order to play for you, they got to be a top level player anyway. So you're looking for the best of the best. Um, but you can only take so many. And um, I think every kid wants to be at the highest level, right? I mean, that, that would make sense. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I, I think sometimes uh, you know, some, some players, they'll, their eyes are really big and they want the best of the best, but maybe it's not always the best fit and a smaller school would be, would be better for them. And um, I mean, you being at Franklin Pierce for the time you were, I mean, I'm sure you could share with any, with anyone just like I could that, Sometimes at a at a smaller school, um, the level is still very good. It sure is. I'll tell you, I think that those Franklin Pierce teams would compete very favorably uh, against many of these uh, Florida State teams that I have. Wow. <coughs> it was different back then, though, Phil. I mean, in the Division Two rules back then, there was no age limit. And, uh, you know, you could have older players, and I had a bunch of you know, senior international players that were 22, 23, 24 years old, that uh, they were women playing against girls. So it was a little bit of a different time and a different landscape then, but uh, uh, there were some really good players that I had the privilege of coaching back then too. Um, what advice would you give for young players who have dreams and aspirations of playing at FSU? Uh, what, and, and what's their best way to get on your radar? Well, certainly um, keeping us informed as to where they're playing, when they're playing. You know, we do try and get out and do uh, try to watch as many kids as we can. And, uh, um, you know, sometimes, you know, kids that end up coming and playing for us aren't always just the high-profile kids. We have a number of kids that have uh, come in, and uh, you know, probably the best example, we had a kid a number of years ago named Kirsten Crowley who was – uh, I honestly, I, I tell her this and she, she laughs when I tell her, I didn't really think that she'd ever play for us. And basically I did a favor for Mike Pickett in taking her. He said, Mark, look, I'm telling you, she's a great kid. She's going to work hard. And I said, pick, I just don't see it. I don't see it. <clears throat> and Crowley came in. She was one of very few players we have that actually redshirted. And she worked with uh, one of my assistant coaches, Amiza May Daly. And got better and better and better to the point that uh, she ended up being a two-time captain and uh, led us to national championship and starting center back and had just a magnificent career. So, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be the kid that has been U15, U16, U17, U18 national team pool. You know, we got kids now that are playing U23 national team that never played the youth national team. They came in, they worked hard, they developed, and they had the right mentality. So, you know, again, I'm, I'm not saying everything is possible, but certainly um, there are kids that have exceeded the expectations uh, that we had on face value. Um, Rachel Lim was someone that, um, where did you see her in regards to that? I mean, she was, I think she was a walk-on at your school, wasn't she? She was. Uh, 
Lemmy was a wonderful kid, hardworking kid. Yeah. She came in and uh, we gave her a chance and she worked and worked and worked and ended up starting and helping us go to Final Fours and uh, just had a great career. Yeah, I, I coached at a, at a high school that she had graduated from. So we kind of, I connected with her once or twice and she was playing for you at the time and shared a lot about your program and got to watch her at least play in the in the national final for you, I think. I think you guys lost in the final that year in 2000, I want to say 2007. Yeah, I forgot about the ones we lost. <laughs> but you, you were there. You were there. So, um, But um, uh, I also, you know, and I'll throw this in there because I, I think it's a compliment to you and your program. But um, I've worked your camp a few times mm-hmm. and I've worked, I've worked a lot of camps and uh, I will say yours is one of the few that I've worked where I thought the staff and yourself were very diligent, diligent about um, really focusing on the players that were there at the camp and wanting to know and really have an idea of who the top ones were and watching them and, and paying attention to them. And, uh, you know, uh, I guess using it as a recruiting tool. Would you, would you agree? I think it's our best recruiting tool. Um you know, Rachel Lim is another one, I think, that came to camp and we saw her at camp and that was what gave her the opportunity to, to come and play. So I do think that that is um, one of the better recruiting tools we have. But, um, <clears throat> you know, it's important um, if we're having a camp, uh, I'm going to be there, my staff's going to be there, we're all going to be there assessing uh, these kids. The kids and their family have paid good money to come and uh, we'll be out there watching and taking notes and trying to help these kids develop. You know, not every kid is going to be a Florida State kid, but, you know, from from a lot of these kids, there's a place for them to go and a chance to compete and play. And if we can help them in some fashion, we want to help them. Um, what advice would you give to coaches who are looking to climb the coaching ranks? Um, how do they get to your level? You know, I think probably for me, I didn't really have anything that I looked at and said, well, this is step one and this is step two and this is step three. I kind of just went and thought, okay, well, that sounds like a good opportunity and move on. I think people today are a little bit more um, systematic in the way that they're approaching these things and, you know, the five-year plan, 10-year plan. So I I didn't have any of that. I just kind of thought, okay, that next stop, that's interesting for me. Yeah, let's apply for that job and see where it goes. And I think probably for today, it's uh, probably better the way it is today because people can look and lay out their career path a little bit better. But for me, I think that trying to uh, be open-minded and learn from different people and have different experiences, what I'm sure of is that, you know, none of us have all the good ideas. And, you know, um, right now I have uh, Mike Bristol and uh, Imaizume as my assistant coaches, Ima being Japanese and coming from a completely different culture, has a whole lot of different ways of looking at things. You know, Bristol's quite clever, and he has different things that uh, that are important as well. And you know, we have a, another younger guy, Andrew Hudson, that's on our technical staff as well. And sitting there and talking about the game and, and learning and listening, I think it's a great opportunity. So for any of the young coaches, I would recommend going out and identifying who is, who is it you think you can learn from and then go and try and spend time with them. I mean, many of us are, are open to that. If people call and say, Hey, I'd like to come and spend a day, see what's going on or whatever. Um, I think there are a lot of coaches that are open to that and helping to grow the game. 
yeah, I mean, that's definitely, that's definitely what I've done. I mean, that's how I think me and you have built a relationship. Um, yep. And I built a relationship with a few others that way is just being hungry to learn. I think if someone wants to be a coach at a, at, at a high level, um, you know, you have to be a great student all the time, in my opinion, and just always be willing to learn. Um, I, I will say, I wish I would have been a little bit more uh, systematic in my approach to my um, <laughs> jobs I took because my, my, it's funny because I think a lot of ADs and I'm sure you get phone calls all the time about, Hey, uh, we're looking for a candidate or we're looking for a coach, but um, you know, my, my, my resume is kind of all over the place with my experiences. I've got men, women, boys, girls. I mean, I've kind of done a lot of everything, but a lot of times I see that people that focus on one, one path, like you've kind of stayed on the women's side after leaving, you know, the yeah. boys side. So I've kind of floated between both. Um, I've done a bunch of different things. And so when I'm a candidate for a job, sometimes I think I'm, I'm like someone like myself might get overlooked because I've kind of put myself everywhere. But I, I will say because of that, doing that, I've learned an incredible amount. And, um, and I think it's benefited me in having, a lot of experience and knowledge in different areas, but, um, but it hasn't made it easy to get a job. I will say that. <laughs> yeah. I'll, be, I'll bet in some ways it has hurt you, but probably overall you're a better coach for it, right? I mean, you have much more experience in dealing with different ages and uh, different genders and, and so on. So I would be willing to bet that when you do uh, find that job that is right, probably all the, that collection of experiences you have, will really benefit you um, that uh, you have had um, uh, multiple different uh, demographics you've dealt with. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so. Um, I will say you asked me this a long time ago. You asked me like, I think you asked me what was the difference with men and women. And I, I will tell you this working with the women and the girls made me a much better coach for the guys, especially with just the way times are changing and, um, you know, it, it just, it made me a much better coach, maybe a better listener, more patient. So I think that has been, uh, been great for me. But, um, lastly, I want to ask you this because obviously with all the success you've had, Mark, um, and, and I did read an article that you were offered a, a job with a national team. With the success you've had, winning a World Cup something that interests you in the future? Um, I'm not sure. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to look back and de define my career as being successful or not. <clears throat> Whether I've won a World Cup or not, um, I did have the thrill of coaching in the U19 uh, Women's World Cup uh, back a number of years ago. Um, and uh, we ended up with a bronze. And so I, I, I have had that opportunity. Um, I wouldn't say that uh, I'm completely closed to that, um, but um, it's not something I'm seeking at this time. Okay. All right, Mark. Well, listen, I, uh, I appreciate you, you being on my show, and um, I'm sure all the listeners that I that I'm generating and, and people that are, that are li currently listening will, uh, will appreciate all the info you've provided. And uh, I want to wish you good luck. Uh, I, I think you have a few, few years left on your contract at FSU. So hoping you win a few more, 
few more national championships. And uh, well, I appreciate it. I appreciate it, Phil. <clears throat> I appreciate your friendship as well, and uh, hope you and your family have a wonderful holiday. Awesome, Mark. Same to you. All right, pal. Take care. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye. Well, this concludes my interview with Coach Mark Akorian. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. I know I did. Um, and just a few takeaways that uh, come to mind right away after the interview. Um, one is for players. Um, you know, one of the things we, we mentioned is that not only do you have to be a good player, but you also have to be great technically and tactically. So to play at the highest level, you have to be very well-rounded and um, you have to be great with the ball um, and your decision-making has to be great as well. So um, I think, you know, I get asked very often about helping kids to get on the radar for different schools and to help them to get to a higher level. But really it starts with you. You got to put the, uh, the horse before the cart. And so before going off to a lot of ID camps, um, it's good to make sure you work on your game, make sure you're playing at the highest level. So that way, when you go to be seen, you know, you're, you're showing a good product. You're showing a good version of yourself. Um, and because if, you know, if you listen to one of the things Mark said is that his ID camp is his best recruiting tool, you know, and you think about it for a lot of college coaches, it is because you're there on their campus. You know, you're right there on the campus. The coaching staff is right in front of you and they get to see you. And usually some of these camps are a few days long. So, you know, it's a great opportunity to make an impression. And, um, you know, again, I think it's great. I think people should players should go to these events and you do get seen from them. But you're only going to get seen if you're good. So you've got to work on your game. So those would be my takeaways if I were a player. Um, for coaches, uh, I thought there was some cool things we could we could learn from here. Obviously, um, you know, Mark's entire path of, you know, his career and how he climbed the ladder. And um, I mean, one of the things that stuck out was that he was willing to be an assistant coach for a basketball team as well for one of his first jobs. And I thought, you know, that was pretty cool. Um, so, you know, and, and I'm sure even though he's one of the top soccer coaches coaching basketball, just being a coach, you, you, you learn and grow as a coach from those experiences. So I thought that was, that was really cool. And obviously there's sacrifices that have to be made. Um, when you're trying to coach the client, the, or climb the coaching ladder, you've got to move. Um, you've got to leave a job. You might be having, like, I, I could imagine when he was at Franklin Pierce, he won some national championships, then he's taking another job. Well, you know, he had success at Franklin Pierce. So that's, 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 that could be a risky move. And, uh, um, so anyways, I, I think those are all things we can learn from. And, you know, one of the key things that he said to that really stuck out for me, and it stuck out for me because this is exactly what I've done with my career is when I was 20 years old and knew I wanted to be a coach, the first thing I did was seeked out the best person I, or the person that I thought was one of the best teachers of the game in my area and asked him if I could learn from him. And I spent like two or three years of my of my um of my the beginning of my coaching career kind of like the foundation of coaching for me uh with this guy this gentleman by the name by the way his name is uh richard williams um and uh he coached a few mls teams as an assistant um and he's got a, a very impressive uh coaching resume but i spent a few years with that gentleman just to learn and and he, this guy is fantastic i mean he's one of the best teach, teachers of the game that i've ever seen and so um you know I, it really gave me and you know that coach helped 
me and took me under his wing to give me a, a foundation of how to uh, start my coaching career. And some of the guidance he gave me was, was key. Um, and, uh, and I'll share this with you guys. And this is the first thing he ever said to me. I, I'll never forget it. I approached this guy and I said, Hey coach, let me ask you. I'm like, I really want to get into coaching. I, I think you're one of the best in the game in my area. And I really want to learn from you. Um, you know, could, could I work with you? I'm willing to do it for free by the way, which is sacrifice. I said, I'm willing to work f- for you for free just to learn. And I'll never forget the comment he made to me. And he said this, and I'll never forget it. He's like, are you sure you want to be a coach? And I said, yeah, I'm 100% positive. And he said, well, he's like, let me ask you this. Is it important for you to be liked? And I said, "Um, no, why? And he said, well, because if it's important for you to be liked, don't be a coach. Just be a trainer. You could be a technical trainer. You'll make good money. Everyone loves the trainer because they don't have to make any decisions. They just show up, run sessions. You go home and and you don't have to be liked. But. If you're going to be a coach, you're going to be a decision maker and decision makers, uh, you know, are, 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 are rarely liked. If you're a good one, you'll be respected, but there's times you're not going to be liked. And that's, if that's important to you, don't be a coach. And I said, coach, that's not important to me. I want to be respected and I want to be the best coach there is. He said, okay, let's go. And you know, the rest has been history. We're still making, you know, still moving forward and trying to make history. I'm actually, I'm hoping to catch up with coach Williams. Uh, in the very near future as I'm going to be in his neighborhood in the next few weeks. So coach, if you're listening, hope to see you soon. Um, but the, the reason why I bring that up is because Mark, you know, mentioned that and, and he mentioned how you should seek out others who ha- have success or have been successful and try to learn from them. And um, it's definitely what I've done and continue to do. I did that with Mark and Mark was great with me. And these guys have been awesome. They've poured poured into me and shared their experience and their knowledge with me and it's been it's been great for me i i've I've grown because of it so you know my the the success that i have is is greatly impacted by the information they've shared with me so um, those guys are great ambassadors of the sport and have certainly helped to make me and my players and my program better so i'm grateful for that Um, and uh, if anyone's trying to pursue a coaching career i strongly suggest and recommend you do the same thing um guys that's it thanks for listening um you know thanks for uh for for listening to this interview and please uh check me out on social media uh check out this uh this 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 show and or you checked it out already but share it like it um subscribe to it uh if you could check me out on social media like share all that stuff and uh my academy name is miami ac feel free to check that out on social media as well and uh, look, if you, you're a player or you're a parent and you, your kid needs help and you want them or they want to be really good in this game and they need some guidance or, or they need to train, they need to prepare and get better, uh, feel free to reach out to me. And uh, I offer all kinds of services to help players out and help to make their dreams become a reality. Anyways, guys, uh, have a great holiday season. We're coming up on Christmas in the next few days. Um, so happy Hanukkah. Merry Christmas. I wish you guys nothing but the best of luck. New Year's is coming up. I don't know if I'll shoot out another uh, podcast before New Year's. When I, after the New Year, I will start back up on that series about player development again, so you guys can can check that out. But um, until then, Happy New Year, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Holidays. I wish everyone the best. Enjoy your times with your families, and uh, thanks again for listening.